Hey everybody, this is Jeremiah Craig coming at you for another Ask the Bootmaker. Today, we are talking with Wes of Music City Leather. Are we ready? Let's do it. Let's get right into it. Let's bring them in. How's your day going so far? Day is good. Sun is shining. The Blue Angels flew over Nashville today, so I guess that was a little exciting. Cool. Did you get to go out and see them? I got to go outside and hear them, but I couldn't see them. Oh, too bad. That's right. That's right. So, what you working on today? Uh, today is the last day um, building last, or I'm going to be afterwards. Um, this morning I assembled some stuff, and after we get off, I'm going to build some lasts. How do you feel about building lasts? Uh, I hear it's a pretty difficult process to build the leather up around the side of that last to get the right fit. How do you like that process? If you follow the measurements and you take those measurements and you transfer them correctly to the last, you have no problems um, because you fit what is there. So if it's a 10 inch high end step, you, you know, you've got to match that up and put it in the correct place. Um, I wouldn't say building the last makes me nervous as much as, um, the client putting on the boot for the first time. You know, I don't care what any bootmaker says, Lisa, anybody else, the moment they put that boot on, you, you, you get a little tight, you know, because you're just a little bit worried that maybe I missed this measurement, maybe I missed that measurement. So, um, you know, it's part of the process. I, I like making last. It's what makes us custom builders. If you can't mm -hmm. build last, you might as well just sell something off the shelf. How many times have you had somebody try on one of your boots that you made special for them and then be maybe a little bit disappointed about it? Or do they have this spiritual experience like that wide-eyed, like, wow, this is the custom feel? I think it depends on the person and their feet. Um, you get somebody with jacked up feet, bad bunions, hammer toes, all these things. When they put the boot on that fits, yes, they're like, wow. Um, the average person um, enjoys the fit. Uh, if you're a boot aficionado and you got a lot of custom boots, your fit is subjective. Um, it's what you believe feels right. One person might want their boots so tight that it cuts all circulation off. Another person might want their boots to be kicked off across the front. Um, that's not the way a boot should fit. There should be a good medium in there. So, um, you know, I can't say I've ever had anybody have a religious experience out of it. Um, I'd like to say I've had 100% fit perfection, but I have tweaked some boots in the past. Knock on wood, I haven't done it in a while. Um, we're human, we make mistakes, you know, um, so. That's awesome. Um... Let's start off with a question. Well, I guess we kind of had like a good back and forth there as we started here, but I got a question from Carol Burgess, who's on the stream right now, and it seemed like a good place to start. Uh, what made you want to be a bootmaker and how rewarding do you find it? Uh, what made me want to be a bootmaker? Um, I grew up on a farm, lots of cattle. Um, we don't call them ranches in Georgia. We call them farms. Um, so I've always worn cowboy boots. I uh, wore them for years, grow, um, 
as an adult. I quit drinking. I needed a hobby. I found Dina McGuffin, um, who, who would teach me out in Albuquerque. So I went to Dina, um, learned to make boots there. Um, so I don't think that it was not a calling, but it was a decision. You know, um, some people like I've been called to be a doctor. You know, I was never called to be a bootmaker. Um, now that I'm in it, um, once I discovered it, um, I found out it's the place for me to be. Um, I like to create functional art. Um, and I think the cowboy boot is the perfect place for that. You have all the top. You're trying to, you know, make your make people's feet look pretty. Uh, Lisa Sorrell calls it a Coke bottle. You know, I mean, that comes from... Um, from her mentor. So you want it, you want a boot to um, root you to the ground, yet be like a flower and flow up, you know, like it, it belongs on you. Um, so there's so many ways in that it can stimulate your senses. And I have found that. Um, and I forgot the second part of the question. What was the second part? How rewarding do you find boot making? You know, at the end of the day, I have something tangible. Um, I've pretty much, I was a home builder before I was in the boot industry, and I've always appreciated a tangible product, something I can make with my hands, something that um, I can see, something that people can use. So it is very rewarding. Do you find that you brought any specific experience from building homes into your experience doing boots? Oh, yeah. Um you know, boots, I think people have different talents in a core. Um, one of those talents would be assembly and disassembly. And I can tear some crap up, man. I can disassemble some stuff. Um, and it's, you know, about the same with assembly. So construction is that. You're building something with your hands. Um, I can sling a hammer like nobody's business. You know, um, I didn't have to learn to drive pegs. You know, I already knew how to do it. It was just learning to do, learning to use a smaller hammer instead of a 24-ounce framing hammer. So um, I think an experience, patience. Um, I was a spastic child. I'm still kind of spastic at the ripe young age of 50. Um, but years of being and building have taught me organization and taught me patience. And I think patience is really the key to getting better at anything outside of working with intent, you know? So to be successful in anything, you got to work with intent. Yes, totally. I love it. What about foundationally wise? Like when you're building a boot, do you think about the angles and how it's going to stand up to however a person uses it, whether it be used for cowboy work or for like office work? You know, um, it doesn't matter if you are riding a horse every day or you're slopping through a um, barn every day or you're sitting behind a desk or you're working in a factory. <clears throat> I make the boot the exact same way. The only difference is really is your foot, your design and the leathers you choose. You know, you don't want to spend to go walk around in the barn. You don't want to spend the money on gator. You want bull hides. You want something along those lines. So I make them the exact same way for every pair and I make them the best I can. I make them serviceable. Love it. Now you are based in Nashville, correct? From Georgia. I am a 
I'm 15 minutes from downtown in a little suburb called Brentwood. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm from Nashville. Yep, I hear you. So are there any artists in the country music community there that are currently wearing your boots? That's a question from PJ Marshall. Uh, yes, there are. Um, it doesn't really matter to me um, what country star is wearing my boots. Um, each client is just as important as the next. Um, I guess if I had the coolest guy I've ever met that I've made boots for that is a star, he's not a country star, would have to be Doc Severinsen. Um, he's 93, 94 years old now, I think. He was the band leader to the Johnny Carson show. Wow. You know, he um, he's probably the coolest guy I've ever met that had a pocket full of cash in a big house and played an instrument. That's awesome. <laughs> so you're making boots in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Uh, my question is, what's it like building boots in an area that's not necessarily known for them? This is not Oklahoma or Texas. You're a little bit more east than that. So what's it like in that area? What's the community like? You know, the community's big enough that I can feed myself and my family. Um, so it's bigger than you think. Um, lots of people wear boots. Um, the majority of my clients, since I am, I consider myself a luxury product. Anybody that makes a custom boot makes a luxury product. Um, my main clientele would be dress casual. Guys that either wear them to work or wear them on the weekends. Um, but, you know, I've got farriers wearing them. I got wa walking horses are huge here. Um, you know, we don't really do cutting horses. Some do. But our main horse is um, walking horse. So it's more riding boot and stuff like that. Um, but I'd still make them, you know, for guys. Um, I got some walking in factories. Um, Nashville's a cool place for tourism. So I have boots all over the world. People come from all over the world to Nashville to go tour the Ryman and the Opryland and blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of them stop through. No doubt. I've heard some of the large manufacturers have sort of split uh, the United States up into like a few different areas as far as what styles people like. Um, I've heard like on the coastal regions, it's like the round toes uh, in the uh in Texas and Southwest, it's more square toe. And then they have a specific section for Nashville that they just call flashy. Do you have, do you think that that is sort of aligned with your? It's a lot of people call it the Nashville toe. Um, mm -hmm. It's basically um, Lee Miller calls it a pin toe and he can get it real small, um, you know, and his is so defined and so beautiful. Um, I mainly get a request, I'd say, for what I call a three-quarter box toe. Uh, there's no such thing as a snip toe. Some people might call it a snip toe, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's a box toe. I'm, some people even call it, might call it a blunt toe. Um, but it's about three-quarters wide, and it's rounded, um, you know, and it's got a nice, sleek shape to it. And that's probably the biggest toe I do, um, most of them. I do a lot of narrow, round toes. Um, I don't do many needle toes, um, don't 
I push you away from that big old wide um, area box toe that just flattish. It's almost like a modified wide French toe. Yeah. Um, I push you against away from that. I feel like manufacturers make that because they can fit more feet that way. And the bottom line is where they're after, you know, but if you're adamant again about it, I'll make you one. I mean, you know, I'm building up the whole last anyway, from back to front, I'm grinding, I'm adding leather, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So making your toe is kind of, you know, whatever you want. And it seems like most that I do is a three quarter box toe. Interesting. Yeah. I've always wondered about that um, because I never, heard like the toe style that Nashville, it's always like, I always hear fancy, like snakeskin or just, well, that's just the loud. These guys really aren't working in the field. You know, they're not riding horses. Um, I got a lot of friends in the music industry that, you know, unless they're on stage, they're wearing flip flops, <laughs> you know? So it's the country music scene has really, really changed. Um, and, you know, I think back to what was the big thing that changed country music out of um, cowboy boots for the most part. I mean, they a lot of guys still love them. They swear by them. But it seems like Keith Urban and his um, lace-up brogans, that was the big turning point with a lot of these guys because they couldn't afford custom boots. And cowboy boots, if they don't fit, and you're sliding around in them or they're too tight, they, they hurt your feet, you know, if they're not fit properly. So most of them went to a lower heel, you know, either a side zipper, which I still, I do a lot of side zippers, or um, they do laces. Kind of the military style, that brogan style seems to be really big. Um, yeah. Urban was from Australia, isn't he? He was from Australia, so I mean, you know, um, Australia is really not known for cowboy boots. I've got a pair or two in Australia, but you know, and I know that there's some other makers out there that do it, you know, so. I've heard a similar thing, uh, said by Dirks Bentley is that he had to switch to the lace up boot like urban because, uh, his feet hurt in cowboy boots while he was playing, but I've been on tour. And I don't feel that at all when I'm wearing well, cowboy boots. I think it has to do a lot with, you know, if you have a really long, a really big heel measure, you have to have a really big throat to get in that boot. So the bigger the throat, the bigger the boot. So say, I mean, we're just talking hypothetical here. Say your okay. heel measure is a nine, but your foot length is an 11. So you have to wear an 11, really, I mean, you have to wear a 9 um, so the boot doesn't flop around, but it's too long. If you've got a really small heel measure and you've got a really, a really big heel measure and a really short foot, you're swimming, if that makes sense. So a custom boot allows you to make it fit. Um, I've never met Dirk Bentley. Um, I've never seen his feet, so I just can't say. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's part of the problem with some of the off-the-shelf boots is that a lot of the companies are just focusing on the two widths, the D and the double line. E's. What can you fit more feet into to save more money so that the powers that be and the higher up they go, the bigger check they get? 
you know, um, quality and fit and all that's really out the door because I feel like the big manufacturers too, they're dealing in fashion. What's the next big thing? Is it embroidery on the boot? Um, you know, is it bling? You know, what is the next big thing? We need to be on top of it. And fashion, don't get me wrong, man, fashion drives the world economy immensely. But um, I try to deal in style. You know, what's your style? What do you like? Um, do you wear black or do you wear brown all the time? You know, what, let's start with that. You know, what's your favorite secondary color? Um, and kind of go with that and something that you would want to wear continually for the next 20, 30 years because that's, they're going to last that long. Mm-hmm. Unless you're riding in a horse and you're wading around in pig crap all day long, and then you know they're gonna eventually die out. So, what do you find to be the most requested skins and styles that you work with? Um, I'd have to say I do ostrich more than anything else um, because it's a dress casual leather. It can go dressy. It can go casual. Um, most of the people that buy boots in my area are baby boomers a little younger um, that are ready to because they've made money you know they've got liquidatable cash and they're like i want a pair of boots i grew up in kansas went to yale whatever um so then these are really just the local people so i want a boot that brings me back to my childhood and when i grew up in the set in the 80s early 80s whatever ostrich was king you know, ostrich meant something in the 80s. So there's still that feeling, I think, and that reminiscence and that security of I can afford an ostrich boot. Um, next dress boot, I would have to say, would be gator. Um, do a decent amount of snake skin, but those are mainly for musicians. Um, do a lot amount of kangaroo for women. Um, next would have to be probably right now the rough out pig. Um, people are loving that rough out pig. It's tough. It's got a little bit of water resistance in it. And then, you know, in Nashville, it's raining all the damn time. It's, um, we actually get more rainfall than Seattle. It just doesn't rain yeah. in days. Seattle likes to lie about a lot of things. So I don't, I don't, I don't. Seattle's an awesome city, man. They got good food up there. True. Uh, I lived there for four years, and let me tell you, it's not all that cracked up to be. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, Nashville's not all, I guess, it's cracked up to be either. I think that when you live somewhere <laughs> long enough, you get used to it all, and you're like, well, what's so great about Broadway? What's so <laughs> right. great about going down and standing armpit to armpit with a bunch of drunks and listening to music? You know, <laughs> after you've done it 200 times. So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You know? I hear you. So talking about different styles and things, now, which ones do you prefer to make? This is a question from Woody Woodruff. Uh, boots with a classic or simple design uh, or something more eccentric, like with lots of uh, color, artistry, inlay, stitching? I think that really depends on your client. When you're making a custom boot, it completely depends on your client. Um, they're... I kind of just tell them, I'm not going to make you a boot that I think's ugly. But other than that, um, you can pick whatever you want. Um, if you look at my meme in Music City Leather, it's made to fit, made to last, and made for you. So the first part is it's got to fit. 
The second part is it's got to last. It's got to be quality. And the third part comes in their personality. So it is very important. Um, I myself, I wear a one-inch heel most of the time because um, I'm on concrete a lot. Um, I can, you know, go for a walk with my dog. I can go work in the yard. I can do whatever I want to them and not change out boots. Um, I like the three-quarter blunt toe or I like a um, kind of a medium narrow round toe for myself. Um, I like blues for myself. I love browns, blacks, and blues. Um, so, you know, I love the stitching. Um, I'm kind of known for my stitching. My stitching's decent. I mean, there are people out there better than me, but I do. A I can lay in a decent row. Um, so I see my inspirations more of 40s and 50s. But since I learned in Albuquerque, New Mexico, there's definitely a New Mexico style shape and form to my boots. Um, but I'd have to say my inspirations are the old acnes. You know, I grew up in Georgia and Tennessee. We didn't wear Nikonas. We wore acnes. So the older acnes I really love. Um, <clears throat> if I make boots for myself, the majority of the time, if they're work boots, they're just stitched. But if I'm making them for myself, I really like to make kind of stupid stuff. Uh, if you look at my website now, there's the fighting cock boots. They're blue with the white top and they're two fighting cocks on the top. Uh -huh. I made those for myself. Um, there's a pair on the, I don't know if they're, I know they're on my Instagram that is, it's our family portrait in the Cuba style. Um, and it's my wife and me and our kids Zodiac. So I like to kind of make for myself just crazy stuff that really doesn't make Western sense, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, but you know, so I guess you'd say my favorite kind is whatever somebody's willing to pay me money for that's pretty. There you go. You can't argue with that. That's right, because if you're not selling boots, you might as well go down to Walmart. Damn straight. Now, that that reminds me of something that I wanted to ask you, and uh, it has to do with the competitions that you enter some of your boots in. Um, and I'm curious about where that lands for your business. Do you enter those competitions um, to, I guess, one, is it like a friendly competition among other bootmakers to sort of um, push yourself in some way? Or does it also help attract more customers? Um, as far as I know, there's really only three competitions that I know of, two in the U.S. and one overseas. Um, one is, a, is all footwear. Lisa Sorrell actually won it, I think, last year. I've never entered it. The other two is the World Leather debut in Sheridan. Um, I've never been to that, but I did win one year. Um, and, you know, I don't, I know what they judge. I know what I was up against. Um, you know, it was, it was fun to send it in to see what happened. Mm -hmm. um, the other is the Boot and Saddle Makers Roundup. Um, I think that one kind of holds the most weight to me because it's our, for lack of a better term, it's our yearly convention put on by the Kimmels um, of Kimmel Boot. And we all come together and we slap our boots down. Um, we have different categories and different levels of er expertise. And, you know, you kind of build your way up and you and you put your boots in. And um, it's really cool to put your boots against your peers, but also learn from your peers. Because even though you're competing, 
you're all standing around the boots and you're picking up each other's boots and you're like, well, I do it this way. And somebody else goes, well, I do it this way. And then somebody goes, well, if you do it this way, it might be better. So it's definitely a learning experience. Um, I think once you get to a certain level, you win the competition by making less mistakes than the other person did. Um, unless you are somebody like Lisa, whose top work is phenomenal. You know, I went up against her in the master's category this year. When she put her boots down, I was just like, oh, you know, I knew. I was like, damn. So, you know, but, um, you know, Dustin Lau was on your show. Um, I've beaten Dustin. I believe Dustin's beaten me before, too. So it's really just kind of fun. It is a learning experience, um, you know, and it's just mainly we're buying a bunch of stuff we don't need from vendors and shooting the shit. So, and that's, and the competition is just part. Yeah, it's like a little party and learning from each other exactly. at the same time. And it's, and it's a learning thing. And especially for me, being in Tennessee, the majority of bootmakers are west of the Mississippi River. Um, it's a 14 hour drive for me to go to that competition if I drive. So I don't get to really see too many other people's boots unless they're already on somebody's feet, walking around Nashville, they come in my shop. Um, that kind of stuff. So a lot of the guys from Texas, they can compare each other's boots and feed off of each other. All I feed off of really is pictures, you know, Instagram pictures or conversations on phones and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, it's really important to me to get out there because I think the goal in anything you do is to get better. And if you can't, you can't get better without comparison. You know, put my boot next to Tex Robbins' boot and be like, holy shit, his is perfect. Mine looks like crap, you know. But you take mine away from his and you put it by itself. And I'm like, yeah, my boot's looking really good, you know. So, I mean, I think it's to learn. I think it's definitely necessary. Yeah, I feel the same thing when I'm on shows with other musicians and you you each take your own turn on stage but between the set list and you're enjoying each other's music and you're like, oh, I didn't really like that line or that riff, but man, that was epic. I would have done this a little different. You're sitting back in the green room and you're tuning up and all, and some guy that's gonna go on after you sitting there playing something, you're like, holy crap, dude, play that again for me. You know, it's inspiration and I don't think anything inspires you more than your peers and that feeling of, I want to be as good as them, you know? I want to make as least mistakes as they do, you know? And I guess that's really just what a master is. How many mistakes can you cover up? Now, that leads into a question that I got from Woody Woodruff here. Uh, he asks, uh, do you consider yourself a boot maker master or do you still have things to learn? You know, in Europe, they have master's classes um, where you have to go and make three styles of boots and have this and then be this good and la, la, la. And then you get a master's certificate. We don't have that in the U.S. Um, I guess anybody can call themselves a master, but it's kind of like um, in Buddhism that to be the master you have to set yourself lower than your student. And basically that's all humility. 
um, to be, you can't really call yourself a master if you have humility, you know, because a master is supposed to be perfect at what they do and there is no perfection, you know, um, but that's beauty. That is the beauty in art where the imperfect and the perfect meet. And that is where true beauty lies. So do you really want to be called a master? <clears throat> because if you are, and there's no imperfections and then everything has lost its beauty. It's lost its humanity. If that makes sense. Yeah. It gets boring at that point. Yeah. I mean, if I had to consider somebody that was really a master at our craft, um, there's a couple of them. So if I don't say your name, don't get angry. Um, is Lee Miller. You know, you look at Lee Miller's boots and they're beautiful and they flow and they fit and all of this. But if you follow Lee on Instagram or you know him like I do as a friend and have conversations with him, he is every day going into that shop and he is refining and testing and perfecting and creating. And, you know, it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's incredible to see somebody at his level to be posting different pamphlets and books and pages of things that he's continuing to study. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, what's so cool about Lee is he's willing to share pretty much any information that he comes across. Um, there's a stitch design that I use that Lee just sent me one day and he was like, dude, this looks like you're stitching. Um, I think it would be an awesome stitch pattern for you. Nobody else was doing it. It was an old hire design. And I did a test um, run on it. I was like, man, this is awesome. And it's probably my second most popular stitch design that I do now. And he just gave it to you royalty free. I mean, it's a vintage design, so I can't say he gave it to me because it didn't belong to him, but okay. he found it and he said, this would be good for you. Um, you know, I don't own any stitch design because there's nothing new under the sun really in the world of creativity at this point in our venture in humanity, it's all been done in shape, some shape, form or fashion. And when you only have basically a 10 inch by eight inch on average panel to um, create that art, it's very limited. And a sewing machine can only do so much as well. I do have one that I made up myself and that nobody touches, but we all have a fern leaf, you know. Now tell me what the fern leaf is. Uh, you know, some call it, I mean, some call it a fern, some call it um, just the eagle. It looks like the eagle wings or the ferns coming up. Um, Jack Reed did it. Um, Pablo Haas does, does a derivative of it. You know, um, everybody does a derivative of it. You're talking about like the stitching on the top. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of a fern leaf. It's also kind of a wing stitch. I mean, mm -hmm. it depends on where you are and where you come from, um, what you call it, because boot making is such an old craft and it came from so many different places that what you call things and how you make your boot is completely demographic. You know, nowadays it's all starting to come together, but for a long time, I mean, it was, West Texas construction and designs, East Texas, you know, Oklahoma, you know, it was all um, very just demographic because of lack of technology and travel. Right. I got some questions uh, 
from people who are looking to get into boot making. So uh, I'm going to run through those now since we're sort of talking about some of these uh, finer pieces. One comes from Barrett on Instagram. What model of machine do you use for your top stitching and what is your go-to thread size? I use a Cobra 5550 BB um, for stitching. I bought the Singer 3115. I bought a used one when I first started. Never could get it right. It was a pain in the butt. I, you know, I just turned it into a boat anchor. Um, I ended up buying the Cobra and I love my Cobra, but I don't really have experience. Um, Dustin swears by his path. Some people swear by their Singer um, 3115s, different things. I like the Cobra. If um, I can give any advice, get a servo motor with a reducer on it. So you can, and a roller foot, of course, so you can control what you're doing a lot better. You don't have to use a handbrake. And for the majority of my stitching, I use a size 46. Um, fine details, inlays, I'll go to a 33. But mainly, almost everything I do is 46. Um, and I can, think the majority of us do a 33, 46, or 69. Can you tell me the difference between the thread sizes and what they're used for? 33 is the smallest. Um, 46 the next, 69 is next. Um, you know, side seaming, I use a 277, which is about the same size um, or maybe a little bigger for the sole stitcher. I use, um, you know, a right hand twist, bulldog repair right now. Um, and I do pretty much all my top stitching and my assembly with a 46 thread, except for my side seaming and my sole stitching and of course, welting and stuff like that, where I used waxed ends. Gotcha. Now, I have a question about the leather stacked heels. Um, I've seen, I mean, most manufacturers or a lot of major manufacturers are using like plastic composites blocked or even like just painting the, the fake leather stacked lines on this composite heel. But can you tell me a little bit about the advantages of using leather stacked heels on a cowboy boot rather than a block or something like that? There are two really ways to go about it. One is to use a pre-made stacked heel that you can get from a manufacturer and nail it on, level it up and nail it on. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it makes it a lot easier to shine up because it's compressed really well. I do the hand stacking of each, each layer, each um, lift, and I peg it all the way through. It's the way I was taught. Um, I like the process of it. And honestly, I really like the way it looks when the boot breaks in real good. And it, it kind of gives a different patina to the heel. Um, so I really like that. Um, plastic heels are crap. Um, composite heels are crap. I wouldn't do them. Um, I don't use a plastic shank. I use a um, 40 or 50 penny nail, depending on how fat you are. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do it right. Um, and I think whether you do a hand stack or you do a pre-made block, I think they're probably take about the same amount of time from what people tell me. It just how you learned and what machine you have. I don't have a heel nailer. So even if I wanted to do one, um, you know, I mean, I'd have to sit there and try to 
hand nail it in from 12 inches up. So. What about the leather makes it better though? That's my curiosity. Why it makes it better? Um, because it's a solid heel. Um, it's tested. It's true. It's basically your heel stacks are sole leather, just already rolled and compressed and jacked or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it allows the maker to adjust to what you need. Um, a lot of guys have their heels flare out so that their rubber um, heel caps don't rub the hair off their horse. So it allows you to do a lot of things that and um, help. If you've got crazy pronation, you can kind of adjust it a little bit better um, along those lines. Um, you know. Interesting. I like it. Um, good question here from Barry right now on the stream. What's the lead time? How many boots can you make in a month? Uh, my lead time averages eight months to 16 months on average. Um, before the COVID pandemic, I was oh. right over a year. Uh, Nashville has been shut down now for Lord in eternity, I guess. I don't know. It's been forever since we've been normal, it feels like. Um, yeah. So tourism is way down. Um, we were a hot spot. Uh, we are slet settling out. So I see business coming back, but for the last four or five weeks, all I get is people, when this lifts, I'm going to come get a pair of boots. I want a pair of boots. Um, so my lead time right now is pretty low. I'd say I'm at nine months, probably eight months. If it keeps going on, you know, I mean, I'll do anywhere between two and five pair a month. How ornate are they? You know, if I've got a guy that comes in and he just wants a roper that he needs it to fit because he's got messed up feet, he doesn't care about stitching, you know, it's going to save me a couple of days behind the sewing machine. You know, that kind of stuff. And what do your boots start at price-wise? My boots asks this one. 2000 um, a pair. Average boot is one row stitch is 100 2100 um, Five row stitch is 600, 2600. Uh, full gaiters are up there pretty much um, around nine or 10, depending on what you want for matching. Um, the base price includes all the leathers I have in stock, except for exotics like ostrich, alligator, kangaroo. And I stock buttloads of leather. I have a leather fetish, I guess. Um, I got a problem with it. I, you know, I've got enough leather where I could make 500 pair of boots and still have some left over problem. Because every nice. time I get online and I see somebody or I go to the shows and I see someone like, ooh, I got to have that. You know, I see somebody else's boot and I'm like, ooh, I got to have that. So, you know, so there you go. <laughs> love it. I love the all gator look too. That's on my uh, dream boot list. I'm Oh, yeah. I, um, most of my all gators, though, are from client hunts. I do a lot of client hunts being in Tennessee and all and with Florida and Louisiana. Um, so most of my full gators, they bring me the gator, you know, and I make them a full pair. Sounds fun. What is that process like uh, taking somebody's uh, hunt and then changing it into a pair of boots? Do you have to deal with a lot of scarring or a lot of like what is that like it's a wild gator you're gonna have scarring um so mm -hmm. you know i get some guys that call me and say i'm gonna go on a gator hunt um 
what do I need? I'm like, well, how big are you? You know, you got a size 14 boot. You need one hell of a gator, one gator to get the whole boot out of. You know, um, if you can kill two six foot, eight foots, then we could probably get both out of, you know, or maybe matching tiles. If you bring it to me and there's a big scar or a tanning hole um, where they're tanning it right in the wrong place. So it's really hard to say till it gets there. Um, but, you know, we can move it around. We can change the patterns out here and there kind of and get it to work with. Um, I've only had one person I've ever turned down and the guy brought me an anaconda skin of his grandfather's that had been in his grandfather's attic. And it was 31 feet long, I think, but it wow. was dry rotted. Yeah. I was like, you can't make a boot out of this, but it was huge. So, you know, um, I've really not had much of a problem. Um, the major tannery for gator, for gator hunts in the Southeast is a really good tannery. So they do a really good job. There's a couple of jack legs out there, but there's some good ones. So people bring you other skins other than just gator. I've had um, two brothers bring me ostrich that they went to Africa and hunted ostrich, which I was like, that's an awful long damn way for an ostrich skin. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I've had that. Um, I think that's it. It's just ostrich and gator, you know, um, Gotcha. Uh, quick question here from Colin can help. I thought this was an interesting one. If you could never wear boots again or make boots, uh, cowboy boots that is, and demand stopped altogether, what footwear would you switch it up to? Honestly, it's got, I guess, in the summertime, I'd wear flip-flops. I'd wear flip-flops. I grew up um, swimming year-round. I was a um, competitive swimmer in college, so flip-flops are second nature to me. In the wintertime, um, probably the Ugg Clog. The Ugg Clog is the warmest, most comfortable shoe I believe there is outside of one of my cowboy boots. <laughs> It's awesome. I mean, it's, you're just wrapped in shirling and your feet are warm and it's squishy. It's like you're walking on a marshmallow, you know? <laughs> those were those are actually my two go-to shoes outside of a cowboy boot. Love it. Do you think you would ever um, become a custom Ugg maker? No. I haven't asked to put shirling in a boot, but it was way early in my career of doing it and I turned it down. But if somebody asked me to do it again, I'd put it, I'd, I'd, um, I'd do it just to see what happens. You know, I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And nobody judge me because I wear Uggs when in the wintertime. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How could you, how could you judge somebody who owns up to that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I I got hiking boots. I'm a big hiker. So, you know, I mean, I've got my preference of a hiking boot I love. Um, I've got my tennis shoe, of course, I love, um, but they're mass manufacturers, so I really don't want to shout them out. But the Nike, the Nike, what is it? The Nike Elite, I think it is. It's, it's an all-black shoe. It's an all-black running shoe. That thing is awesome. I love that thing. Doesn't last very long. You can't get 500 miles out of them for a running shoe. They deplete really quick. But yeah. while you're running, man, those things are awesome. <laughs> I hear you. That's the whole reason why I had to switch over to cowboy boots. My whole interest in cowboy boots started because every pair of shoes that I would ever have 
would break down so quickly, but not with cowboy boots. I mean, I wear, like I said, unless I'm running, hiking, or sitting around the house, I got on boots. You know, I mean, it's what I've always worn. It's what I've been comfortable in. I actually grew up in acne dress. And then when we were on the farm, red wing ropers. It's what my daddy bought me, man, was red wing ropers. And it's what I wore every day of my life. There was a small period of time. Remember when those L.L. Bean duck boots came out in the early 80s? He bought me those for the wintertime. And those were the coldest damn boots I've ever worn in my life. You're standing in the mud and the muck in the barn. Your toes would just break off. So, yeah, Red Wing Ropers is what I grew up wearing. And they didn't last very long. Yeah. I'm not, I've never been a fan of those L.L. Bean boots either. No, no. You know what I mean? So. Well, thank you so much, Wes, uh, for taking this time with me today. Uh, this was an awesome, awesome piece of content and I learned a lot. I hope everybody else learned a lot too. Uh, do you want to leave anybody with anything like uh, where they can find you online, some of the places where you're most active on social? Yeah, it's all Music City Leather, musiccityleather.com, facebook.com slash musiccityleather, instagram.com slash musiccityleather. Um, that's where everything is. Um, you know, come check me out, call before you come see me. We could be in a quarantine lockdown. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Hopefully it's over soon. I'm ready for this to be over. If it's over, you better call too because I'm going fishing. Damn straight. Love it. Awesome. Man, I appreciate it. It was fun. It was. uh, It was tons of fun. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a spectacular rest of your day. You too, dude. Appreciate you. Peace. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for watching.